Good day, and welcome to For the Love of Pets. I'm Dr. Donald Shreves, owner and operator of the Pottsgrove Animal Hospital, and we're here today uh, to talk about some things to help you out on your pets. Uh, we're going to cover some very interesting topics today, so hang on. I'll be back in just a few minutes, and we will get started. Good day, and welcome back to For the Love of Pets podcast. Again, I'm Dr. Donald Shreves, owner and operator of the Pottsgrove Animal Hospital in beautiful Pottstown, Pennsylvania. And today, we're going to talk about two different topics. We're going to talk about ear infections. We're also going to talk about anal glands. So what we're going to talk about today are two very common problems that we see with animals, both dogs and cats, though anal glands does tend to be more of a dog problem. I have seen a few cats with anal gland problems as well. Uh, ear infections seem to affect both species, um, so we're definitely going to talk about that because it's a real common problem. I probably see at least, you know, two, three ear infections a day uh, on a good summer day. So it's definitely something you're going to see a lot, um, and you're going to have a lot of problems with, especially with certain breeds of dogs that are a little more prone to ear infections than others. So what causes ear infections? And there are a lot of potential answers to this question. Um, moisture can certainly call, help with ear infections. So water getting into the ear from a bath or going swimming certainly can help. you got to remember, if you don't know how a dog's ear is, you know, you look at our ear, our ears go directly in. So we have a good drainage from our ear because you tilt your head and it drains out. It's real simple. It's real easy. Problem with animals is their ear canals are kind of more shaped like the letter L. So you have a vertical canal and you have a horizontal canal. So when water gets into the ear, it literally gets trapped in there. It literally has to try to fight gravity to get out of the ear. And water does not fight gravity very well. That's why water falls down and not up. Uh, so um, the animals shake their head, and they're trying to get that water out of there. But if that water stays in long enough, you end up with a warm, dark, wet area. And this is perfect for microorganisms to breed in and lead to ear infections. So <laughs> I see a lot of dogs that go swimming, getting ear infections, that's a common problem. Um, and sometimes just from getting a bath and moisture getting in there can lead to ear infections. What else can cause ear infections? Allergies. Allergies are a big underlying problem when it comes to ear infections. So a lot of dogs that tend to have allergies tend to have ear infections. I mean, let's be honest, the ear is nothing more than just an extension of the skin in a lot of cases. So the inside of the ear is just part of the skin that has gone inside. So dogs that have skin problems very likely will tend to have ear problems. Um, and a lot of them come from allergies. And allergies to what? Well, you know, we talked about allergies in our other podcasts and that there are multiple types of allergies, including contact allergies, inhalant allergies, and food allergies. So the ear certainly can be affected by any of these. And if we see other signs of allergies, such as chewing of the feet or hair loss or other problems, definitely the ear infections can be caused by that. So one of the biggest problems with ear infections is that ear infections tend to be recurrent. 
So even when they get better, a lot of times they're going to get worse again, especially when you're dealing with an allergy-based ear infection because you can't cure allergies. Allergies in most cases are an incurable problem that a dog is going to have for life. They will get better at times. They will get worse at times depending on what the dog is allergic to and how much they're exposed to it. But they're going to be a recurrent problem. So if you have an ear infection subsequent to an allergy, guess what? It's going to be a recurrent problem too. The other problem is it's just so hard to get ear infections out of the ear because there's not a whole lot of good drainage to the ear. As we said, our ears come straight out and they drain well, but animals' ears don't drain well. So the moisture, the infection, once it's in there, kind of sits in there. And you can only get so far down in the ear to clean out that debris. And that debris can certainly prevent medicines from getting down deeper in the ear and clearing the infection. So <clears throat> it can be definitely a difficult problem to clean the ears, uh, especially if your animal doesn't let you. Ear infections are often painful, so it hurts for you to clean their ears. Um, and that's a you know a difficult problem because you want to get this out of there, but you don't want to go shoving Q-tips down in your dog's ears because you can damage them. You can damage the ear. You certainly can damage the eardrum. It's just like your own doctor will tell you, don't go shoving Q-tips in your ears. You only want to go as deep as you can see with a Q-tip and no deeper. That's why I tend to recommend cotton balls as a better cleaning method for cleaning out the debris from the ear because with your finger in a cotton ball, you can't go deep enough to potentially damage the ear. So when you have an ear infection, your dog is scratching at its ear. It's shaking its head a lot. You might see some debris from the ear. Um, you might get a bad odor from the ear. And those are some of the things that can indicate, hey, my dog's got an ear infection. I need to go to the doctor and get it checked out. So you come in with a potential ear infection. We look in the ear and we see that it's red and it's got a yucky discharge and it's got a bad smell. And we go, yep, you got an ear infection. So now what's next? Well, what we need to determine at that point is what kind of ear infection do we have? Do we have a yeast-based one or do we have a bacterial-based one? And the way to do that is to perform an ear cytology. Um, where we go in, we take a small sample of the debris within the ear, and then we take that, we put that on a microscope slide, we stain it, and then we look at it microscopically to determine what it is. Yeast have a very characteristic look, and they're very easy to identify, and bacteria are much smaller than yeast, so if you don't see yeast but you see a lot of tiny dots or rods, most likely you have a bacterial infection in that ear. Now, bacterial infections can be a little more difficult because there are a lot of types of bacteria. Some are resistant to specific antibiotics. You might have multiple bacteria. Most commonly, when you have yeast infections, it's one kind of yeast or so. Very rarely is it more than one. Most of them are susceptible to your most common antifungal uh, type of treatment. So your myconazoles or other types of antifungal uh, things to help get rid of it. However, there are some medicines out there that don't have really great antifungals in them or they're just not high enough amounts. So you want to look for ones that are more specifically geared toward fungal infections. And that's where things like the Suraland come in, Momentumax, Ocernia works pretty well too. Um, there are a lot of different ways and there are newer meds coming out all the time for the ears. You know, years ago it used to be twice a day treatment of the ears. Now we've got medicines that do once a day treatment of the ears. We've got medicines that do once a week treatment of the ears. 
We even have one medicine that does a once a month treatment of the ears to clear ear infections. So you don't have to fight with your dog every day to clean his ears and put medicines in anymore. There are definitely more long-term medicines that work quite well. So with the yeast infection, and I'll be honest, that's the most common type of ear infection that I tend to see in my practice. Um, you go in, you use a uh, antifungal type of cleaner, which I have one I really like. It's called Trez Ultra and Keto. And the keto stands for ketoconazole, which is an antifungal. So it's a good drying agent, and it has some antifungal properties. And then you go in, and once you clean the ear, you put medicines in the ear, whatever you choose to use for yeast, to combat the yeast infection in the ears. Now, bacteria, however, are a different ballgame. Because with bacteria, you could have a simple bacterial infection, which will respond to things like your bomentabaxes, or your osernias, or your claros. Um, but the biggest problem comes when you have either resistant bacteria or multiple bacteria. Now, I'm not saying you should run out and culture every bacterial infection in the ear, but if you treat an ear infection and it doesn't get better or it seems to be getting worse and there's no real change, your next step should be to culture that ear because by culturing it, you're going to find out which antibiotics work best. And one of the nastiest bugs that we have out there, and most doctors know this, is a bug called Pseudomonas aeruginosa. This bug is resistant to a lot of bacteria. So unfortunately, it can be very difficult to get rid of. Um, and sometimes you need to go to an oddball antibiotic to get rid of it. Or perhaps you have multiple bacteria. I've seen E. coli in the ears. I have seen Pseudomonas. I've seen Staphylococcus. I've seen Streptococcus. A lot of different types of bacteria in the ears. So in those cases, a culture is really your best friend to eliminate the ear infection and hopefully keep it down for whatever time you can. Is it going to come back? Probably. Is it going to be worse than before? Maybe. But you want to get the dog comfortable. You want to get the infection under control. And how do you do that? You use topical medicines, and, so, and sometimes you can use uh, oral medicines and kind of hit it from both sides depending on what you're dealing with. So we're going to take a moment break, and I'll be back in just a minute um, to talk about um, what type of medicines there are out there and how they work. All right, so welcome back to For the Love of Pets podcast. We were talking about ear infections and bacterial infections specifically. But as I said, there's two different types, bacteria and yeast, though yeast tends to be more common. Um, bacteria, certainly we see that time and time again. So what kind of ear medicines are out there nowadays? Well, there's a lot of them, unfortunately, and which one is right, we don't always know. Every doctor has their personal favorites on what they like to use, um, and you know that they some of these have been around for years and still do very well. Um, some of them are newer medicines and also do very well as well. So what do you use? Well, first of all, you got to pick a cleaner. Now, as I said, with yeast infections, I like to use a cleaner called Trez Ultra with Keto because it does have some actual antifungal properties in there. So those antifungal properties really help to start combating the yeast infection along with the topical medicine I put in. Um, if I'm using a bacterial infection, I usually tend to use one by a company called Duoxo, which is D-O-U-X-O. It's a micellular cleaner. Um, it has actual antimicrobial abilities. Plus, it also has a molecule in it, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it because I always get it wrong. But what the molecule helps to do is actually rebuild the skin and protect the skin 
um, that has been damaged by the infection. So we're helping to rebuild the damaged tissue within the ear with the cleaner. So I like to use that one with the bacterial infections. I think it works really great. So then we come to medications. What do we tend to use? Well, um, for yeast, I'll use either a Suralan, which is a um, topical preparation that you put in the ear. It's a liquid. Uh, you put about four to six drops in the ear twice daily. Um, that is very heavy with antifungals, and I tend to find that works very, very well. I also sometimes will make my own combination where I'll mix a uh, Gent Odic, which is a little vial of an anti-inflammatory and a Genomycin antibiotic, and then I'll mix that with a Conifite, which is a Myconazole lotion, and then we will make that into an eardrop that you drop in the ear. The Myconazole is a very good antifungal, and that helps to start combating the yeast infections present within the ear. So um, those are the ones I like. Tresiderm is a third choice for yeast infections, though not as good. Um, sometimes I will use Momentumax for a once a day. And I also like Ocernia <coughs> for the once a week application. But I tend to use some of these others more for bacterial infections than the yeast infections. I do tend to find the Genotic and Conifite mixture works extremely well to clear up a lot of these yeasts. So when it comes to bacterial infections, um, the choices are, again, very similar. As I said, I have the micellular cleaner that I like to use. And then I tend to like to use the Momentumax. It's a once-a-day ointment that you put in the ears. Uh, it has a genomycin base, which is a good antibiotic um, that I think works very well for ear problems. If the animal is difficult um, or the owner is going to have trouble getting the meds in once a day, then I'll look at something like Ocernia which is a once-a-week medication. It's actually a gel in a little tube, and you squeeze it in the ear. The medicine goes in as a gel. It liquefies. It coats the inner part of the ear, and then it regels. And at that point, it stays in the ear for approximately one week. So you get a full week's treatment after just one treatment. So you don't have to fight with your dog every day. It's only once a week. Uh, this is a little more expensive than the Momentumax, especially if you do two treatments, which is what I like to do in each ear. Um, but... It, you know, you pay a little bit more for the convenience of not having to clean or medicate the ears daily. Now, there is a newer product that came out a year or two ago. It's called Claro, uh, which is actually a once-every-30-day treatment. So in the cases of Claro, you, the doctor could actually clean the ears for you in the room and actually apply the Claro for you, and you don't have to do anything at home at all. Um, now, again, if, if these treatments don't work, if things don't improve at all, or they're getting worse then the next step is to culture that ear because you've either got a resistant bug in there or you've got a multiple bacterial infection in the ears. Either way, you definitely want to treat them and you want to culture them. And in the meantime, while you're waiting for the culture, you can put a tube of a cernia in there. It may not clear the infection, but I'm sure it's going to give the puppy some relief. Um, and then when you get the culture results back, you can decide which way to go. A lot of times um, when you have resistant infections, you'll combine it with a topical a topical with an oral. So you'll hit it from antibiotics from both sides. So it drops within the ear as well as oral medication and maybe even some oral anti-inflammatories to help with redness and pain. And certainly that's not a wrong thing to do with ear infections either. So that's really treating ear infections in dogs. Now what about cats? Cats get ear infections too. And cats can um, sometimes be even more difficult. I do tend to find yeast is the more prominent type of ear infection in dogs, um, whereas cats, I tend to find more bacterial infections. 
Um, so in the case of cats, you'll tend to see more ears with a purulent discharge, uh, which means a discharge of pus. Um, they're really foul-smelling, they're crusty, they're nasty. Um, again, you can use a lot of the same medications. Ursernia can't be used in cats right now. Uh, it's not labeled for cats, but Momentumax works. Even though it's not labeled for cats, Momentumax will work and is safe in a cat. Trezoderm works great in cats. Um, some other mixtures can also work quite well in cats to clear the infection in a cat. Again, if things don't get better, my next step is to culture that ear, especially in a cat because nine times out of ten, it's going to be a bacterial infection in there that's giving you problems. Um, now, in some animals, more dogs than cats, these ear infections are just a chronic problem. They just never get better, or they get better, they get worse, they get better, they get worse, and it's just a chronic fight. Um, and the ears are smelly all the time, and they're painful to the animal. In absolute severe cases, there is a salvage surgical procedure that can be done called a ZEP procedure, uh, in which case you go in and you increase the drainage to the ear. Um, but you do this by literally destroying the vertical canal of the ear. As I said, animals' ears have two parts, a vertical and a horizontal canal. So basically, you make an animal's ear drain like a human ear does. So it gets better drainage. You get more of that yuck out of there, and you get better penetration with medications. It's not an easy surgery, and I would definitely, if we were looking to do something like that, make sure that your surgeon has experience in doing the procedure. Um, it is a rough procedure on the animal, and honestly, for about two weeks afterwards, I usually tell my owners, you're going to be looking at yourself going, why did I do this to my dog? But in the end, it does tend to improve the problem and helps to lessen the ears. Now, you know, this needs to be done in a younger animal. Um, in most of the cases, I've done it in things like Cocker Spaniels that just have chronic ears. I've had a couple cases where, you know, it was an older animal that a Zep would have helped it years ago, but it was too old at that point to put it through the surgery. And the ears were so scarred from chronic inflammation and infection that literally you could barely get a Q-tip into the ears. And these dogs and animals were just in chronic discomfort from these ears. So, you know, if you need to do a ZEP, don't hesitate. Just make sure you have a surgeon who knows what they're doing because the surgery can go wrong if you're not experienced enough in doing it. And if it goes wrong, there's not a lot of great ways to salvage it. Um, but those are, again, it's a salvage procedure. It's an end-all, be-all. You, you want to exhaust any other options before you get to saying, okay, I need to do a ZEP. And that means cultures, that means different medications, orally and topically, and just nothing is working to, cl to clear out this dog's infections or it just keeps coming back the minute the medicine stops. Then, unfortunately, some type of surgical intervention may need to be applied. I think I've done one ZEP on a cat, um, but it wasn't because we were doing a ZEP procedure. It was because the cat had grown a tumor in its ear, and occasionally we'll see that. They usually tend to come up from a stalk way down deep in the ear, and the only way you can get down and clear the whole tumor is by opening up the ear canal in most cases because it's too far deep to try to get at it uh, with anything short of opening up the vertical canal to get to it and performing a modified ZEP. But it's not really something that we do in cats, mostly dogs. I'll be honest, most of your floppy ear dogs, like Cocker Spaniels, Beagles, um, Bassets, um, and the other uh, breed I've seen it done in a lot is Bulldogs. Just because English Bulldogs 
skulls are just not shaped right. Um, it's because of the big head and their ear canals don't drain very well. So that's a little bit of knowledge about ears, um, the different medications out there, the different uh, treatments and procedures to clear the ears, and the end of salvage procedures when nothing else seems to work. So I hope you learned a lot about that. We're going to talk about anal glands here in just a couple minutes. So I'm going to take another quick break. And we'll be back in just a few moments. All right, so welcome back to For the Love of Pets. This is Dr. Donald Shreves from the Pottsgrove Animal Hospital. And now we're going to talk a little bit about everybody's favorite subject, anal glands. Now, what are anal glands? Anal glands are scent glands, and dogs have them and cats have them, though they tend to be more of a dog problem. What they are is a small gland that, it, that sits between the internal sphincter muscle and the external sphincter muscle. And what happens is when your dog goes to the bathroom and he defecates, that these two muscles squeeze together and express the contents of these glands out over the fecal matter as it's passed out. The ducts from these glands come out right at the edge of the rectum, and it kind of has a dead fish odor smell is how I usually characterize it. So if you've ever had your dog get really scared and all of a sudden you get a really bad smell, he expressed his anal glands. And it can happen due to fear or stress or excitement, but it should happen normally when they have a bowel movement. Now, what happens when they don't express them properly? And this is a problem that we do see in a fair amount of patients. The anal glands are not being fully expressed. They're not being fully emptied when the patient is having a bowel movement. Um, and why is that happening? Well, there are a lot of potential reasons. You can certainly get ducts that get impacted. So you get something stuck in the duct and then the glands can't express themselves. Um, <clears throat> you can have an inflammatory problem like a colitis or a problem right around the rectal area and it squeezes the duct of the gland closed so that again, when they squeeze, they can't express the gland out either. But one of the more common things that I think we're seeing a lot of is that they're not getting full expression because the fecal matter that they're passing out is not hard enough or large enough to cause a full expression of the gland. Um, a lot of pet food diets out there, unfortunately, have decreased the amount of fiber within their food. And the reason they've done this is because less fiber makes smaller dog poops. Okay, and as owners, we all like to be able to clean up smaller poops. It doesn't take a lot of time, and it's a lot easier to clean up. The problem with these smaller poops is they're not getting a full expression of the anal gland. So some of the fluid is not getting out of the anal gland, and it's sitting there. And then the next time they have a bowel movement, again, some of it's not getting out. So you're getting this chronic irritation and this chronic fluid sitting in there. You're talking about a very bacteria-laden area in the GI tract. And what can eventually happen is you get an infection in the anal gland. And even if you don't get an infection, you're going to get irritation. So what happens when your dog gets irritated anal glands? Well, we've all seen it. We've all laughed at it on the commercials. But the dog scoots. He puts his butt down and he drags it across the floor. And we call that scooting. Um, I very recently heard it called it was going on a sleigh ride. I found that very amusing as well. Um, so when they're doing that, what they are doing is they are trying to express that anal gland. They're trying to open it up, get it open and get that fluid out of there because it's irritating. Um, even if you don't have infection, you definitely can have irritation and inflammation secondary to a full anal gland. 
So what do you have to do when that happens? Well, if you see your dog scooting or you see him doing a sit and spin, my own pugs do the sit and spin where they put the butt down and they just go round and round in a circle. And again, they're trying to express their anal glands. You've got to get that anal gland expressed. So you want to call your vet, you want to make an anal gland appointment, and they'll come in and we will manually express out that gland. Now, the fluid coming out of there hopefully is very normal. It's very liquidy, kind of has a light tan color to it, and it kind of smells like a dead fish. Um, and that is just simply an impacted anal gland. But unfortunately, if this fluid sits in there long enough, you can get an infection. Now, with an infection of the anal glands, when you go in and you squeeze the anal glands, the fluid comes out tends to be more like toothpaste. It's very thick. It's kind of purulent. It might even have some blood in it, but they're hard to express, and the stuff coming out is very thick, and that's often an indication you've got an infection sitting in the anal gland. Then you need to put them on antibiotics, and it could take anywhere from two to four weeks of meds to clear that anal gland infection. It is a tough place for, infection, for antibiotics to penetrate into, and it takes a while to clean out the gland. And you, meanwhile, you're going to have to come back for rechecks and re-expressions of the anal gland. So um, that's what happens when you get an infection. Now, worst case scenarios, you can actually get an anal gland abscess where that infection sits in there and then it starts to form into an abscess. And an abscess is just a big pocket of pus. And these are very painful. It's, if, you've ever, if anybody out there has hemorrhoids that get infected, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Um, so <coughs> this infection in there is very painful. And what can eventually happen is it actually breaks through the skin. And you'll see all this blood and pus coming out just underneath the rectum, uh, your dog's rectum or anus area. And then usually if you looked at it like a clock, it's usually around the 4 o'clock and the 8 o'clock regions. Um, and, of course, owners get very upset when this happens. And I don't blame them. I get upset when it happens because it can be prevented by good anal gland health and good anal gland maintenance. But when you get an infection, then we got to put them on antibiotics, anti-inflammatories again, um, and we got to recheck them and hope that we don't have any kind of resistant infection. Plus, they go through a lot of extra pain and discomfort they really just don't need to go through. So that's worst case scenario with most anal glands is the abscess. Um, something that can happen too is anal gland uh, tumors. Okay, they're not common. I've only seen probably three or four in my lifetime, and I've been doing this 23 years. Um, but they do happen, unfortunately. The sad part is, is there are often resectable if you can catch them early, but most of them tend to grow back or spread to the regional lymph nodes. You almost can never get rid of them completely. And the reason for that is the gland, as I said, sits between these two muscles, the inner sphincter muscle and the external sphincter muscle. And when you go in, you remove this gland, you're damaging those muscles. And it's very tightly adhered to the external sphincter. So the unfortunate thing is when you go in and remove the gland, you almost always get a temporary fecal incontinence. And unfortunately, that can become permanent. Now, if you're doing just a single anal gland removal for a tumor, usually it's temporary because the other one will kind of branch some of the nerves out and kind of take up the slack. Um, but if you got to do a bilateral or both, definitely it is a concern that the dog may not be able to control its pooping anymore. And most owners don't want their dogs walking around dropping fecal matter wherever they walk without them even knowing about it. So you have to be very careful when you talk about anal gland resection. 
I said, in most cases, I only do it in cases of tumors. I almost never do it in the cases of chronic problems because with some dietary changes or potentially dietary supplements, you can help a lot of these chronic dogs. Because we're seeing now even more than ever when we express these glands, I mean, we're causing inflammation. We're causing irritation by squeezing these glands all the time. And in dogs that have chronic uh, anal gland problems that they have to be expressed all the time, there's always a chance that you can cause damage to that anal gland. And can that damage lead to future problems? It's possible. Um, so we want to try to find a medical way to help these dogs out. And really, a lot of it, I think, comes down to some fiber additive to the food. We want to make um, these poops a little bigger and a little firmer. And there are a lot of uh, diets out there that you can look into that are more high in fiber that definitely help with this problem. The other thing that is out there now is there are several um, anal gland supplements. So these are like little treats you give your dog to make the poops a little bigger and the poops a little harder so that they get a full expression of that anal gland when they have a bowel movement. Uh, I know there's one called Gland X, and there's another one called Gland Ease. Um, I actually carry the Gland Ease in my uh, clinic, but again, I'm not affiliated with a company that makes it, um, but it tends to be the one that I, I tend to use, though I have used the Gland X as well, and I've had good success with both products. But when you have a chronic anal gland type of problem, they're definitely going to help a lot to get that full expression. In cases of occasional anal gland problems, certainly, you know, a manual expression would be a good way to go. Um, some dogs may have it once or twice in their lifetime, um, but I have patients that come in every four to six weeks to be squeezed, and those are the ones that we have to keep a very close eye on that we're not causing any kind of damage to the anal gland or the tissue around the anal gland. All right, so... That's everybody's favorite topic, and one of the glamorous parts of being a veterinarian is squeezing butts, um, as we like to say. But it does give you a little bit more information about what the anal gland's uh, function is. It's most likely the scent gland, and how it actually gets expressed and when it gets expressed. And what to look for in the symptoms-wise if your dog is having a problem with its anal glands. And ideally, if you think your dog is having a problem, you want to get it checked out. Because if it's becoming an infection, you want to catch it before it becomes an abscess. Because that's just pain and discomfort you don't want to put your, pet, your uh, pet through. So I hope you've gained a little more information about ear infections and anal gland problems. So we're going to sign off for this week. I, as always, if you have any questions or comments, you can drop them to me at For the Love of Pets Podcast at gmail.com. If it's a good comment, I might read it on air or a good question. But I will try to get you a reply either way, even if it's just a personal reply. Um, but you can go ahead and drop them to me there. We're going to be back next week with another podcast, um, some more good information. Until then, always love your pets because they're always going to love you. This is Dr. Donald Shreves from the Pottsgrove Animal Hospital in Pottstown, Pennsylvania, signing off for this week. Have a good day. God bless.